we're going to jump in. It's Palm Sunday. Can you believe it? We're going to look at a couple of verses uh, in Luke 19. You can turn there if you want. Um, if you have little kids, you probably know what it's like to very carefully pick out a gift for a three-year-old, you know, uh, based on your, your deep, profound knowledge of their personality and their unique tendencies, and you pick the perfect gift, and your three-year-old unwraps that gift and is enamored with the box that the gift came in, right? And then an hour later, you're trying to explain to them, no, <laughs> that's not the present that I carefully picked out for you. Please ignore the box, enjoy the present. That is the story uh, that we're going to look at today. God is setting the stage in this story. God is setting the stage to offer his greatest gift. And the people that are celebrating him are about to completely miss it. <clears throat> so a uh, moment of confession before we jump in. I'm going to be focusing, I'm going to be landing on a passage this morning. that somehow I missed. It's right there in the Bible. And I don't know if you know this, but I've read the Bible. Like, that's a thing that I do, right? And I was, I was studying, actually, leading up to this Sunday, and I came across a passage that just kind of like, it just kind of smacked me. And uh, I've really enjoyed just sort of pondering, meditating on uh, this, this little piece of scripture. So this morning, it might not hit you the same way. And when I get to it, you might think to yourself, oh, dude, yeah, I knew about that like a long time ago. And that's fine. But I'm having a moment, and I'm your pastor. So you're here with me as I go through this. So I'm going to tell you the story leading up to uh, what we know as uh, Palm Sunday. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take information from the four Gospels and uh, tell it to you as one story. We have, we have parts and pieces of the story from uh, different ones of the Gospels, and when you lay them over top of each other, it actually gives you some better context. So the story that sets things in motion for Palm Sunday, I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, is actually the story of Lazarus. So, you remember Lazarus? He's the guy that famously died, right? And uh, they had asked Jesus to come and pray for him that he would be healed. Jesus dilly-dallied. Lazarus died. So, they came to Jesus and said, well, now you're too late. And Jesus said, I am always right on time. And so he goes down to Bethany. It's a town on the outskirts of Jerusalem to the home of Lazarus. He, uh, Lazarus is already buried in the tomb. He calls Lazarus out of the tomb, and he, he stands up in his, uh, his, what do they call it, the grave clothing, the swaddling clothes? No, that's the wrong thing. Anyways, all the cloth. And he walks out of the grave. And something happens in response to this very seismic event. The Pharisees, Pharisees get very upset. And they actually say to each other, this is not, not going to work. There is no way that we can compete with a guy who's bringing people back from the dead. 
So not only do we need to get rid of Jesus, now we need to get rid of Lazarus and actually plan to take them both out. And so uh, they commit at this point, it was actually after Lazarus was raised from the dead that the, the high priests come together and they make a, a mutual commitment, a, a pact, to track Jesus down and eliminate him. In fact, they issued an order in that area uh, that if anyone knew information on his whereabouts, that they were to give them that information. Well, Jesus, of course, he's on, he's on God's timing, God's clock, right? He knows that he's going to die, but not yet. And so Jesus leaves the area briefly, gets out of, uh, out of Bethany, away from Jerusalem for a little bit of time, and then he comes back to Jerusalem. And we know from reading the story that he had told his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem for one reason, to die. He'd made it very clear to them. Uh, Peter had said, no, I'm not going to let that happen. Um, they had kind of wrestled with it. They didn't fully understand it, but he had made it clear. I'm going to go back to Jerusalem to die. The events surrounding Lazarus had whipped up the intensity of the persecution, and Jesus says, now it's time. And so what Jesus does is on his way back to Jerusalem, this is a week before the crucifixion, he's making his way there, he knows why, he stops by the town of Bethany at the home of Lazarus to check in and say, hi, how are you doing? Still alive? Great. He stops by the house of Lazarus, and it's there that Mary breaks the bottle of perfume over Jesus' feet. And it's there, actually, that Judas kind of uh, reaches his last straw. It's there at the house of Lazarus, uh, Lazarus, as Jesus is headed to Jerusalem, that Judas says, this is a waste of perfume. This should have been used to feed the poor. And actually, the author of the gospel says, Judas doesn't care about the poor. Judas likes to steal money. And so Judas wanted access to that money. So God is putting the pieces in place, right? The Pharisees have become more aggressive. Uh, Judas now is, is more uh, sort of disenfranchised, disillusioned. And so Jesus stays the night there in Bethany. And then the next day, he's going to head into Jerusalem. So he tells a couple of his boys, he says, hey guys, I want you to head towards town. And uh, when you get close to town, you'll find a donkey tied up. And I want you to grab that donkey and bring it to me. And they're reasonable guys, and so they said, um, that's stealing. Uh, what should we say when they say, don't take our donkey, right? And Jesus said, uh, just tell them that I need it. <laughs> so that's what I do now when I want my kid's stuff. I just say, Jesus has a need of it, right? I just grab it. And so they go. They go, they walk towards town, and sure enough, there's a donkey. It's tied up, and they go to take the donkey, and the owner says, uh, that's my donkey. And they say, Jesus has need of it? And the owner says, okay. And so they take the donkey, and they bring it back to Jesus. Jesus hops on the donkey and begins making his way towards Jerusalem, and his followers, his disciples, sort of his close uh, group of people, 
uh, started celebrating him. And it says, uh, the narrative actually tells us that they were initially celebrating the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead. But then that kind of turned into a celebration of all of the things that he had done, the miracles that he had performed. So they start celebrating him. Again, he's making his way uh, from the hill country of Bethany down towards Jerusalem. They're waving palm branches. They're spreading their cloaks on the ground. He's riding on the donkey coming towards uh, the city. And in case, you, in case you are prone to think that like, the, whole, the whole place is in on this, it actually tells us that there were people in Jerusalem, as, as he's coming towards Jerusalem, who said to each other, wait, who is this guy? What's all the excitement about? Never heard of him. Oh, it's Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, he's from Nazareth. And so the stage is set for the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness to collide. But it's here in this moment, Jesus riding on the donkey, facing towards Jerusalem. The fulfillment of the messianic prophecies, which you need to understand if you don't already, that the prophets had been saying for hundreds of years that the throne of David is going to be reestablished that there will be a king who is a descendant of David who will rule forever, establish a permanent kingdom of God on the earth. So as they're witnessing this fulfilled before their very eyes, there are two opposing storylines that are on a collision course. It's the two storylines of human expectations versus God's intentions. And I don't mean human expectations in like the fleshly, sinful nature type of human expectation. I mean the expectation of his closest friends at odds with the narrative that God is actually laying out, the story that God is telling. On the side of human expectation, they're like, bring it on. We're going to have a king again. We're going to be able to throw off the, the oppressive rule of Rome. We're going to reclaim our independence, our autonomy, the blessing of God on Israel. And so they're celebrating. Mark 11, verse 9. Those who went in front of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Do you understand that they're celebrating a particular expectation? This might be the guy who finally throws off the shackles of bondage, political bondage. It will be the end of our political oppression, our subservience to Rome. And so they're celebrating. What's not to be excited about? And then there's God's intentions. Matthew 21.5, this is the same story. 
He's actually quoting Zechariah 9.9, and so I'm going to add in a phrase into Matthew 21.5 to fill out that quote from Zechariah 9. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The image of choice to visualize the advent of God's kingdom is a burden-bearing creature, a donkey. Not noble, not fast, not impressive, but very reliable if you need someone to carry a heavy burden. This is not the imagery of power, of royalty, of wealth, but hey, it's what we got, so let's, let's use it. This is what I find so fascinating about this. So we know in reading this story, based on Zechariah passage, that this is a very specific, tangible fulfillment of prophecy. Guess who did not know that? The disciples. John tells us that they didn't understand the fulfillment of this particular prophecy until after Jesus was resurrected from the grave. They were having a conversation about it and said, Oh my goodness, that was the fulfillment of prophecy. We had our focus so put on the establishment of a, of a, of a physical kingdom, right? A tangible throne, the return of the glory of Israel, and in front of our very eyes, he was fulfilling prophecy, just not the one that we had picked in the manner that we had chosen. He comes to them on a donkey. Behold, your king is coming to you gentle on a beast of burden. Luke 19, here's our passage. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. They're being loud, obnoxious. Jesus answered, I tell you, they become silent, the rocks will cry out, which is actually the first indication in Scripture that worship music should be rock music. That's right. <laughs> so in some small sort of humble way, in fact, if you're watching from an outside perspective, in kind of a pathetic way, the, the disciples, the crowd, are trying to get this hype machine rolling. We've got to get this king on a throne. We've got to, we've got to finally deal with all of the, the issues that have made our life so miserable. And Luke 19 continues on, the very next verse, he says, and when he approached Jerusalem, remember he's coming from Bethany, the town of Lazarus, He's making his way down the hillside, and there's at a certain point where you can see the city in front of you. He saw the city and he wept over it. And here's the verse I somehow missed in 41 years. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... but now they have been hidden from your eyes. If you had recognized my methods, 
my plan, my strategy, the plan that I enacted prior to Genesis 1-1, through which I would reconcile all things to God, through which I would make peace between God and sinful humanity, if you had, if you had recognized, if only you could have come to terms with the things which make for peace, but it's been hidden from your eyes. Three quick observations. Number one, Jesus offers peace. And I'll tell you, in this room right now, there are some of you here who will readily concede that point from an objective, somewhere out there standpoint. And you will say to yourself, but if I'm honest, that has nothing to do with my experience. Do you believe that Jesus offers peace? Maybe there's no peace in your home. Maybe there's no peace in your workplace. Jesus offers peace. John 14, 27, peace I leave you. That's what I'm going to, when I go away, I'm going to give you the gift of peace. But understand that the peace that I give is going to be of a different nature than the peace that the world offers to you. I'm not going to offer you that kind of peace. Jesus offers peace. Number two, the peace of Jesus comes unexpectedly. It always comes unexpectedly. Gentle, humble in heart, willing to suffer in order to carry our burden. He says, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, the peace I give you is not as the world does. Much to their great disappointment, Jesus did not come to defeat their human enemies. He came to defeat humanity's enemy. He came to defeat sin. You have these two colliding narratives. We need, we need a guy to obliterate all of our opponents that are making our lives miserable, that are ruining us, right? Our livelihood, our quality of existence. We need someone with the authority, with the force, with the potential to take that job. Meanwhile, here comes Jesus riding his little baby donkey. You had known the things which make for peace. Sorry, guys, I didn't come to defeat Rome. I didn't come to defeat the Pharisees. I didn't come to defeat the Jewish leaders. I came to defeat sin on behalf of the Romans, on behalf of the Pharisees, on behalf of the Jewish leaders, on behalf of the Gentiles, on behalf of all of humanity, 
I came to defeat sin so that you can have peace with God and with others. And they didn't see it. They completely missed it. Number three, sin hides Jesus' offer of peace. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. Sin is always hiding God's offer of peace. Think about it right now in the, in the relationship that you have where you say, I don't even, I've, I've, I've lost my capacity to believe that peace is even a potential. You understand that it's sin that blinds our capacity to see and understand, to comprehend God's invitation to peace. I've talked about it many times, but I, I, I remember so vividly when between my wife and I, there was no peace. None. And I remember coming to the Lord and saying, there is no peace. I couldn't see the pathway because the peace of Jesus always comes unexpectedly. We want the peace of Jesus that comes when Jesus deals with the difficult people who rob us of peace. Jesus, would you come in power and might and put them in their place so that I could experience peace? And here comes Jesus riding his donkey, gentle, humble, and says, oh, yeah, no, if you had recognized the things that make for peace, but your own sin has blinded you to it. The human condition says, God, if you would deal with them, I would have peace. And God says, no, let me show you something. I will offer peace by giving my life in order to set you free. Motivated by love, in service of those who are broken and in bondage. And you can do the same. You could choose, following in the footsteps of Jesus, to take on a gentle and humble uh, disposition, attitude towards those who rob you of peace, to love to self-sacrifice, to serve. You would find, as many have before you, here comes the peace of Jesus, so unexpectedly, so small, and so powerful. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's where it reigns. That's where it takes place. That's where the miracle occurs. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Allow it. Seek it.
God, I'm just reminded even again of how just preposterous the message of peace is in the world that we live in right now. And I have an entire laundry list of things that if you were to do those things, certainly I or we would experience a greater degree of peace and yet teach us the simple dependence of resting ourselves on you and your example. May we know the peace that you provide unexpectedly, the peace that reigns in our heart, the peace that you offer that is different than the peace that the world desires, that the world offers. The peace that comes when we know that this gentle man riding a beast of burden is our king, alive in heaven, on the throne, overseeing our lives. May we be beacons of light as a testimony of your peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys want to stand?